Hi, I'm Paul Camillos. Join me and my co-host Jacinta Gavin for Series 4 of Shooting the Breeze. We cover women's hoops and women in hoops. We talk to inspiring players, amazing coaches and the legends behind the scenes and at the grassroots of the game. During this series we'll be covering the FIBA Women's World Cup where the 12 best teams of the planet are coming to Sydney. And of course, we'll be covering Australia's longest running women's professional sporting league, the WNBL, in its 43rd season. Hit that subscribe button, like and review so we can get more Hoops content to you. If FIBA has the ambition to grow, why don't you use half of the population? And it's also, uh, I mean, a matter of um, democracy and equality. And there are other organizations that have been helping out at IOC, for example, I mean, the International Olympic Committee. They've been working really hard, you know, to make, give the same resources and have the same competition for all sports participating in the Olympics. Welcome to our first episode of Series 4 for Shooting the Breeze. We're really grateful to have Lena Wallen-Cancy, Deputy Chair of the FIBA Competitions Commission and Women in Basketball, joining us for an international snapshot. A leading advocate for women in basketball, Lena was the first woman appointed to the Executive Committee of FIBA. She provides us with an incredible insight into the evolution of this vision to increase the role of all women in the sport through the FIBA Strategic Priority for Women in Basketball and its potential going forward. Lena also gives us a truly international perspective of the women's game, the evolving landscape and emerging role it can provide within global sports and humanity. Enjoy. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. It's a special episode today, our start of the fourth season, and joining us is the Deputy Chair of the FIBA Competitions Commission for Women in Basketball, Lena Wallen-Cancy. Lena, welcome to the show. It's fantastic to have you here. Thank you very much. I'm also very happy and thrilled to be here. So, Lena, because FIBA is such a distant thing to a lot of our listeners, Mm. could you give us a bit of a rundown of what the Competitions Commission for Women in Basketball is and your role within it? Yeah, the women in basketball is like, um, I would say, something that is below the competition commission, which is one of the commissions that FIBA has. FIBA has a central board that is elected every fourth year, and it consists of people from the whole world, from the, the zones that are parts of FIBA. And then you have executive board as well, but then you have different commissions taking care of for example, in competition, the players' commission, the technical commission, financial commission, and things like that. And in the competition commission now, you have like some smaller groups uh, connected to the competition commission. And one is discussing the national team competitions. One is the club competition. But then also this group for women in basketball is placed under competition commission. But it's not like an ongoing or running 
commission. It's more, it's a project or one of the topics that is prioritized by FIBA during uh, this uh, four years in between our assemblies that are taking place every fourth year. And the latest one was in China 2019. And the next one will be next year together with the Men's World Cup in, um, I think it will be in Manila, host countries um, next year for the Men's Cup. And um, what I hope also is that, that these women in basketball, which is a prioritized topic together with some other topics, will continue over the next four years as well. I'm talking about the future, but that's how it's going to be. I hope that after these eight years that we don't need to have any special commission or any special group for women in basketball, because in my world, basketball is for all. And if you are in a board or elected in a board in FIBA, which is taking care of the basketball in the whole world, then you should, of course, include women's basketball, youth basketball, basketball for disabled or whatever. But normally, or I mean, at least from the beginning, you know the history and, <laughs> and so on, it's been men's basketball up to 95% or something like that. But in my world, everything is integrated. And for me, it's always been like, I love basketball. But then I need to emphasize a little bit on women's basketball or female leadership or whatever, because there are not so many doing that. But now it's changed, I would say. So in terms of the programs and activities that have been designed and developed to increase female participation, how does that look across the various regions? And how has that been structured to try and get as much uh, growth potential as possible. I should maybe just tell you a little bit about the history as well, because FIBA up until 2010 were it consists of of five zones and still does, but before that the zones were more um, was decentralized. So each zone could do a little bit like what they wanted to do, and they had their own finances and so on. But from 2010, FIBA had one FIBA, one world restructured. So, so it's uh, all zones are, or the directors are di- directly employed by FIBA and so on. And this means that if you set up some, you have a vision or a mission and you have objectives and so on, they are the same for the whole world, which I think is really important if we're going to success and become bigger we are a very big sport but we want to become even bigger and then you need to to work together but at the same time the situation is of course very different in the different zones so when we're doing this program it's also very much up to the different zone or regional directors to decide a little bit what do do we need to emphasize or what kind of programs do we need to do within the framework because it's so different between, like I would say, Oceania and uh, and Europe, for example, because of the geography, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but was there a bit of a rezoning as well 
in the past because um, growing up I knew our national teams, you know, Boomers and Opals and even Sapphires to qualify for tournaments would play Oceania. But now we're mm-hmm. playing a lot more centralised with the Asia Cup. So was there part of a rezoning? And I feel like after if there was such a rezoning, I feel like it's a lot more easier now to follow some of the FIBA competitions that are are scheduled leading up to things like World Cup, like we've got the African Cup, the Euro Cup, the Asia Cup now. Exactly. I mean, it was the outcome after you made one FIBA that, but um, I think that they wanted to have it that way as well. I mean, and, and to have a, a cup and you would recognize it no matter if you're in Africa or, or in America or whatever. Although, I mean, the geographical situation is a little bit different within zones, but for sure, that's one of the reasons. So you should have the same road. You should should be easy to follow. How do you qualify for the World Cup or the Olympics, for example? Yeah, because I think, uh, and granted, I was probably following it since I was a kid and didn't have as much knowledge mm. as I knew now, but even now... Mm. Definitely seems like, as from a fan's perspective, a lot easier to follow the pathway, mm, especially mm. when that pathway of the rezoning in the five areas and having different uh, cups in each area as qualifying mm. cups is transferred into each age group as well. So we're seeing our sapphires at the under sixteen slash under seventeen mm. cup, um, and then yeah, following the pathways for the men's and the women's and and all the way up okay. to. Exactly. It's so much easier and much better. And, you know, also that um, after 22 now, we're going to have more teams also in Cup from 26, for example. Yeah. But the challenge is, of course, like a zone like Oceania, which is now more connected to Asia, is that you have two two teams that are or two countries that are so big. And then you have a lot of small islands and smaller countries and so it's always like, okay, we know Australia is going to win almost every tournament and then New Zealand is number two. So it's very hard. But if you go in Europe, for example, I mean, you never know who's going to win. It's not predicted like like in Oceania. And there are maybe at least both men and women. I mean, it could be like 20 countries that are going to win the cup when you play the European Cup. So it's not so easy to do have the same, exactly the same format everywhere so you need also to change it or adapt it to the geography for example yeah it certainly keeps it a little bit more competitive as well because as you mentioned Mm. you know you always was australia one new zealand two but now we're back Mm. with china and japan and korea exactly Mm. country as well it it keeps the standard of the game a lot higher as well Mm. it does and more competitive so i mean Australia and New Zealand, and also other teams can meet other good teams. Yeah. In terms of engaging more women into basketball, where are the areas that FIBA has found that it's easier to get engagement, and what areas has the engagement been below what FIBA was expecting? Ooh, this one was hard <laughs> to... I don't know if they really had any expectations, but for sure there are areas where it's possible to develop. I mean, you, you mentioned Africa, for example. And that continent has so many talented young girls and also boys, of course, but they need 
help with the structure or leadership, uh, etc. And if you get that in place, I'm quite sure that we're going to see so many more fantastic players coming up. But also, I mean, it's not just about the elite players. It's also to have like a big sport that everyone can be possible to play basketball. It's a big possibility, for example, in Africa. And also, I would say in South America, which lost a little bit, I mean, both Argentina and, and Brazil, for example, are huge countries where they lost a little bit of their quality uh, the latest 10 years, I would say. And I really hope that they will come back again. They had some financial problems in the countries. I mean, not just for basketball in the whole country, but I really hope that there is big potential there. But there are new, I mean, new countries coming up as well, like in South America, Colombia, for example, uh, Chile and other countries are, are coming. Yeah, you made a point of Argentina and I always mm. knew that, uh, you know, the Argentinian men's team had always had a, a presence and were always at yeah. World Cup tournaments or Olympics. But now think about it, I don't know if I've ever actually seen a women's Argentinian team. I've seen some of them, and they, I mean, I've seen some U teams that played in the World Cup, and they they have good teams for sure and good players, and it's a huge country, but not as developed as you could wish. And, but I'm not really familiar with all the situations, but it it could also be cultural things in, in different countries or different areas that affects if the women are doing sports or not in general. I mean, not just basketball; it could be all sports like where I live in Sweden and I also think in Australia it's so natural that I mean both men and women boys and girls are doing sports it's not like it's forbidden for someone or it's open for everyone and uh, it's not like that in all countries for mm-hmm. sure it's still met with the some barriers of social and cultural norms where uh, yeah. you know, women aren't supposed to play sports so to speak Exactly. If it's culture or religion, I don't know, but it, there are, yeah. I'd like to move on to the coaching program. Mm-hmm. And there was an inaugural 12 female coaches involved. Can you tell us a little bit about the program and, and those coaches? Uh, that program was more for female coaches to become instructors. So that was something that FIBA did. I was not involved directly in it, but it was they had this program in Dubai and they arranged instructor programs. It was more to have instructors which and those person can learn new coaches or teach new coaches to become eligible to as FIBA certified coaches in different clinics. I think that's what you meant. But then like we also have in Europe, we had every year we have one um, camp in Slovenia, in Postonia where female coaches from Europe, all over Europe, come together for five days. Every country in Europe can send one coach. Then they have like a program there, and then some of them are chosen to have uh, be part of a mentoring program. So they can go together with some of the best coaches in Europe, learning how they are working during the season. So this is going on also as a coaching program. And this been really successful. So for young coaches coming in and learn how to coach and how to be a lead, a good leader, et cetera, et cetera, on the international level. I kind of find this a really interesting concept because you've got there's growth in education for coaches and also 
moving those those individuals up through to being effectively trainers and I would guess moving into administrative roles as well would, would that be right uh, I don't think that we, I, I need, think we need to separate. I mean, we need to recruit more coaches and leaders, but we also need to recruit more persons to, willing to be part of uh, as an administrators or being in a board or having those position, leader positions. So I think it's, it's not so good to ask if you, I mean, sometimes, okay, now I got a good, good woman here and I want her to coach. I want her to be, be in the board and I want her to run the club, etc., etc. So I think we need to separate uh, the skills a little bit. And that's what we did, for example, with, it started in an America zone, the Adelante program where they try to find uh, the future leaders of maybe national federations working in the federation or represent the federation where they had like a mentoring program. Now everything was changed because of COVID. They were supposed to meet a couple of times, but now they had everything on the web and the participants had to work with different projects in their own country and then got together I think once in Miami as well. And we copy paste this program in Europe where we called it We Lead. And it's also a program for the future leaders. I mean, we need more women in the board positions in FIBA, in national federations, in clubs, etc. And that's where it starts. Because if we're going to be equal or have more female players we need more a society where you work together men and women and that hasn't been the reality or fact if you go back like 10 years or something there were i mean i was almost the only woman in in the fiba board for example and now it's changing but you need to bring up this and mentoring uh, these people and see and have role models and see that it's possible because I think if we ha- if you have a group with men and women working together, then you will get the best outcome. It's always like that in a group. If you're a mixed group, the results will be better. And we, uh, in preparation for meeting you today, we did want to ask you about your experience and, um, you know, your uh, belief in, and the importance of men and women working together, even when the <laughs> ultimate goal, for example, with these six goals that FIBA have set leading into the World mm. Cup, to increase female participation in all aspects of sport. But before we get to that, I just wanted to ask about that We Lead program. What type of uh, training and resources do you provide to participants in the program and how are people kind of nominated for such a program? Mm. They are nominated through their national federations. So we go out and invite every national federation to send one or two persons or register one or two persons and the background is, I mean, they need some some English skills or uh, they should have done something within the sport, for example, or and they should be interested to be a leader, be a future leader or in the National Federation in a club or whatever. And then they are, I mean, when they're registered, we, I'm not the one that's working on, with the executive part, but then we go through everything and have interviews with them to see if they're serious about it. And then the program has been, it's also been on the web now, except for the, the final meeting, I think, the, when they all met. But they had like seminars from 
different uh, female leaders who had um, seminars or with them on the web, and then they had Q's and A's, etc. And then you could work in small groups as well on the web. And then each participant had also to choose a project that they should work with within their federation. It could be like range a 3x3 tournament for girls or whatever. And then in the finals, everyone had to present their project to the other participants and for us representing FIBA as well. And they got feedback on what they did. So um, that's part of the program. And I think, and we see now that there are a lot of girls coming up and they are taking positions within their federations and working there or and we need also to have girls that we or women that we could propose to be part of different commissions etc within FIBA in the future and what, what we also create which is very important is that you create network network that, so I mean if you have go to one woman somewhere in Europe and she find oh I feel so lonely I have no one to talk to about this and then you create this network where you have other persons you can talk to and uh, how did you do with this or what do you think or can you help me or whatever which I think is very very important and networking is something that normally men has done for a long time and women hasn't been that good in doing that and and is I think any, it's very important. Any chance it's going to come to Australia anytime soon, the We Lead program? Yeah, I think they had a part of a We Lead program in Oceania, actually. It was in October, I think, uh, 21. I think it was eight participants and it was in Oceania. And I think two of them are now going to be uh, in Australia and having some kind of an internship within the Federation or something like that. So it has been going on, but I think it will continue and they, uh, they will probably have more programs like that. In terms of the inclusion of women in basketball, focusing in on Australia just for a minute, how do you feel Australia has been <laughs> taking part in this? You think, could we do it better? Could we improve from what you're aware of? I mean, there's always room for improvement, but mm. I'm just trying to understand what else can we do in Australia to try and promote and improve participation of women in, in the sport? Yeah, as you said, there's always room for improvement. But I, I, I mean, in my view, when I look at the world, I mean, I'm not an expert in what is happening all around. But when I look at Australia, Australia is one of the big, big role model countries for women's basketball and has been for a long time. I mean, especially when you talk about the elite level or the top level, we always had good national teams and youth level and on the senior level. But you also have these schools or academies where you educate the young players and you have your league now going on and you have a second league as well, national league. And so I think, I mean... In my view, you are very far ahead of many countries, I would say. But, of course, there are room for improvement. But I also know that the sport in Australia, you have a lot of different good projects going on. You have this father-daughter project, for example, which I really like, and um, other ones as well. So I, I'm not the person really to say, okay, you should do this and this better. Maybe it's... Maybe to find more, I 
persons that could represent the country on the international level, for example. That could be something, but uh, I, I'm not the right person to say, okay, you need to do this and this or whatever. But No, no, right it, it, it wasn't so much the specifics. It's more about mm. what ideas mm. could be brought to the table to try and improve. But it was interesting that you raised the dads and daughters because yeah. that is a program that, that is doing well here. Mm. A program like that anywhere else in the world? Not what I know. I mean, I picked it up, and I think it's an excellent program. And I really—that's one of the things now that we could, uh, I mean, help out through this women in basketball because you're also networking all around the world, and you try to show what what's going on in America or in Australia, or whatever. So you can see, okay, this is a good project. We can use it somewhere else. And so that's one of the big purposes with uh, women in basketball, I would say, within FIBA, to exchange ideas and help each other. And we would have liked to do like a bigger forum in, in uh, Sydney during one of the break, the days when you're not playing games. But because of the COVID situation and the financial situation, it will not be like an international forum. It will be like a more local forum, but with some international participants as well. So that's um, it's going to be uh, out very soon, uh, more information about this forum. It will be on a Wednesday or Thursday before the playoff days in Sydney. That's the scoop. I hope I don't have tickets mm. On those days, yeah, yeah, hopefully. No, but but we thought about doing more things, but we find that's also always one of the things with uh, women's basketball to find the financial uh, or find economy in doing things like that. And it's although I'm I was <laughs> the one that proposing Australia to have the World Cup, and I I mean. We're so happy it will be there because it's a basketball country and it's a women's basketball country as well. But, of course, the challenging part is that the, the country is situated rather far away for many of the big countries. For the fans, we wanted more fans to come. But it's uh, it's rather hard and tricky to do that. Maybe we, we thought of having sort of a Hall of Fame or whatever in Sydney, but economy will not permit that right now but i'm quite sure it will be a success anyway and you can do a lot on the web as well for sure it's really nice to hear uh from your perspective for your position in fiba and in uh, mm. basketball in sweden that australia is regarded as such a high uh, basketball country and female yeah. basketball country because us living here and growing under it, we don't feel like it gets appreciated enough in Australia. It's always overshadowed by other sports. And we've got people like Paul and Mary and I and some of our friends in the other alternative media spaces just like shouting, yeah. from, you know, we like when the boomers good on them winning the bronze Olympic medal, excellent. But then when mm. people say, oh, our first Olympic medal in basketball, I'm like, no, 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 no. No, no, no. Let me <laughs> lesson off the opals. <laughs> but um, during the World Cup, I'm going to organise a pickup game with some people oh, okay. friends with on oh. Twitter, Instagram, and through the podcast. So, Lena, if you would oh. like to come to our pickup game during the tournament, yeah. more than welcome. Oh, it would be very nice. <laughs> I, I will try to be at everything I could be <laughs> to watch and look at. 
No, but but honestly, I mean, even if you don't feel it, I mean, I'm living in another part of the world, and, and people that are uh, involved with basketball, they know for sure that Australia has been one of the leading countries in women's basketball you have good male players as well but you have i mean you have good coaches as well in women's nba and then for the national team and so on and players i mean it's so everyone is now following what laureen is doing for example <laughs> the comeback and it's <laughs> i mean it's even big here in, in sweden i would say so it's interesting to see no 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 you have so many former or present good players playing in Europe and in, in women's NBA as well. And I don't think you see it that much because that's one of the things we talked about, like the competitions we have in Europe, like EuroLeague, for example, the the best female league, I would say, in the world where, where a lot of your players are playing during the winter and uh, they are making, I mean, they're doing great there. And people know that they are from Australia as well. So and you see now in women's MBA as well that there are, if you follow, try to follow at least some of the players or some of the teams to see. The international teams is really nice to see. That was an interesting point you just raised. And I think I'm not trying to be controversial, but mm -hmm. you called out the European League mm -hmm. as potentially the best women's league in the world. Mm. Mm. A lot of people would automatically default to the WNBA as being mm. that. Mm. I'm curious to understand why you had that opinion. That EuroLeague is the best uh, because one thing is doing that is doing better is that you have the teams are competing both in the national leagues and then you have they play um, in EuroLeague. So they are not just playing in one league so that you get more games and you have more teams playing than in women's NBA. So you have more players engaged, I would say. And you have the whole world is represented in, in EuroLeague, in, in the European teams. I mean, in, in women's NBA, there are many, many more American players, of course. And there are some who are not playing in EuroLeague, but some of the older ones, but they've been there before. And um, so I would say that you have wider base of players in EuroLeague, for sure. So um, that's why I'm saying so. I mean, the women's NBA, are more, there are more American players in, in women's NBA, but um, in EuroLeague, there are more international players, both European, American, Australians, Africans, and yeah. The reason that I was interested in this is because mm. one of the things that we've noticed during our off-season and during the free agency period here in Australia mm. is a lot mm. of players are choosing to go to Europe mm. rather than play in the WNBL mm. in the upcoming season. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of things that go with that. First of all, they're going to get a wider and deeper experience playing mm. in Europe, mm. which they'll be able to bring back for the national team. Mm. But it mm. also is going to it effectively opens a pipeline for younger players to move up to that elite level and then mm. potentially take that next step to Europe after a few years mm. as well. Mm. So uh, the reason I was interested is because we're seeing so many people going and to just to get a different perspective. Um, I think a lot of people think the WNBA is the best league in the world because mm. Mm. 
when they then go to an, a national or international competition, mm. it's basically a superstar WNBA team. Mm. Whereas for Europe, while the Euro League and the domestic competitions have a, a very high level of competition, those players then go to their own national teams. Mm-hmm. So therefore, you may not have the same level of depth at a national no. level like mm-hmm. in comparison to America because of the, the breadth of talent that's in the WNBA. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to compare because the systems are so different than you have the school system in USA which is really exciting to watch. And I mean, they have so many players playing there in all different divisions. And from here, I would, I, I mean, the world now is so much more international. I would say that like here in Sweden, which is not a big country, I think that this year we have probably 67 girls playing in, in United States in college during the season. So it's it sort of drain the country but at the same time the players are going there because they want to have other experience learn language but and of course play basketball at different levels i mean not all of them are like top levels but they're going there and it's the same with i mean players going from australia to europe and play and i i think since the world is now international i think that i mean we could have a lot of players in europe that could go to play in, uh, in your league during the season as well, because, and it's not so, um, people don't know that much about it. I know some who are going, going now to play in Division Two in Australia now during your season, but I think you could have more international players coming there because, but, and you have to market that a little bit because I think there are a lot of, maybe not the top, top players, but the next level that should be really interested to play, go to Australia, play for one or two, three seasons or whatever. So, but but saying this, I mean, the, the whole world is more international. It's not just like before you stayed in your own country, you didn't leave that country, but now everyone is everywhere, I would say. But it's going to shift. Probably now it's, uh, we don't know what's going to happen really now in Europe because of, Close down of Russia for sure because they've been had at least uh, two very good teams in the Euroleague this season and they have even more teams in the country and they that was the country that also paid the best money to the players so um, it's probably gonna affect or change a little bit the situation we don't know what's gonna happen yet but that's well, how it is. If you know of any European players looking to come to Australia, just remind them that our season's in summer and we are over here are great and there's a few teams located near a beach or very close yeah yeah yeah. i know i know contract (laughs) yeah we know no but i'm quite sure that there could be more interest in doing that and which i think gain i mean both parts i mean the players but also your league to have more international players so it develop basketball all the time if you meet each other and play a little different style or I would say. Yeah, it's a really good point, actually, because traditionally we've seen our players, as Paul was describing before, um, you know, perhaps be Australian juniors, work their way up through the AIS or Centre of Excellence, uh, be a DP in a WNBL team, get a starting spot Mm. and then leave, um, play play America or or et cetera. 
uh, we don't see a lot of uh, European players coming in as our imports. And I would say only really in the last, really mm. only the last WNBL season have we seen some really standout American imports that we've had okay. for, for a really long time. Perhaps the ties are, are, are happening to change. But you're right, we haven't actually seen a lot of European imports traditionally in mm. the WNBL. Mm. Um, mm. But, you know, obviously aside from your title at FIBA as Deputy Chairwoman for Competitions, um, and just- yeah, or for women in basketball, I would say the undergroup, then I'm a part of the competition commission as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That was, sorry, that was my shorthand version of your mm. official title. And just talking with you now already about the different competitions around the world and the different, you know, mm. comparing the different levels of competition around the world. It, to me, like, it's just dawned on me that just purely focusing on competition for women is such a niche part. Of, of, you know, the huge spectrum of opportunities in basketball. What was it about just the competitions part that kind of interested you the most? Mm, I would say, I mean, making uh, it possible for, if when, when you're in FIBA, for more national teams to participate in continental uh, cups and then have a possibility to go to World Cup or Olympics or whatever. If you compare to what happened in football now, for example, I mean, the qualification for the World Cup is is huge all over the continents, and you have huge attendance. For example, Sweden played Brazil in the uh, in, in the game here in Stockholm, and it was thirty four thousand watching that game, which it was just a friendly game, Sweden Brazil women's football, and. And that's because FIFA invested a lot in the competition. They open up the big arenas for the national teams, etc. And that's what we need to do within women's basketball as well. Because, I mean, it's a fun game to watch. The capacity or uh, of the players, the technical players are so fun to watch. And you have them all over the world. You see now what's happening, for example, Japan, Belgium and those teams are coming up with really fancy players. And I'm quite sure that a lot of more people want to see that kind of basketball. And that's why I'm I'm engaged in the competition. But you need to give more opportunity to more countries to play. And a little bit like that we did in Europe since now. I mean, European Cup or the qualifying for the European Cup is really huge in Europe. And you have... We open up and you have now, I mean, full arenas, even if it's maybe four or 5,000, but a lot of countries now has that because you make the competition more seen, you market it, it's in the media and so on and so on. And I'm quite sure that there are bigger possibilities in the future of doing that. And if you, you need to be seen to attract also the next generation and give the young girls possibilities, etc. I mean, now it's more the structure that I'm a part of the competition commission. It could be any commission where I could uh, have any effect on what's happening. I mean, I've been in the board and it was more overall discussions, but competition is, of course, that's why we are doing basketball. We want to compete in some ways, no matter if it's on the World Cup or or, uh, the local level. Everyone wants to compete in some way. So that's like the core part of of uh, the organization, I would say. You touched on an interesting point about marketing the game. 
what could we do to market the game better? I think storytelling is a very important part. Storytelling about, I mean, no one really wants to look at, okay, we played this game yesterday and this was the result. Da, 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 da. It's more about storytelling and finding role models and what they are doing. And you can see now that a lot of players are their own brand. I would say they are trying to really uh, be seen in all medias and we need to pick it up in different ways and find, I mean, Laureen is a very good example of a person coming back with two kids, being managing the league, etc., etc. And you can make so many good stories out of that. So I think that's what people want, good stories, interesting stories, what's happening. Then, of course, the basketball should be in focus. And uh, one thing I thought about is that I mean, at least here in Sweden, uh, we're rather equal in in all sports, etc. I haven't heard that much that people are comparing men's and women's basketball, for example. People are watching basketball and then they see different qualities in men's games, women's game or youth game. But if you go watching ice hockey, which is a very big sport here, where girls are also playing now, it's... It's more like they compare our oh, women's ice hockey is so bad or it's not fun to watch or whatever. But I don't hear that about basketball because women have played basketball for a long time and the game itself or the technical skills, etc., are very, very developed on the women's side. And you can see different things in the women's game than you do in the men's game. And that's that's nice. I mean, women will not, not yet dunk a lot or whatever. And I, and I don't think that's a lot of people doesn't think that's the most funnest part. It's maybe that you have like four or five fast passes and then you have a good shot or whatever. And you have a lot of technical players doing things, which you saw now in the Olympics, for example, really good things. And I think if you promote that or make it seen or not comparing anything, then I think the interest will grow and together with storytelling. You've spoken to a few guests in the past who, you know, from marketing companies and from academia, and they've also mentioned uh, in a broader sense how important storytelling and having role models are mm. and obviously the representation of if you can see it, then you can achieve it in a sense. Um, and mm. they, they also touched on how the storytelling and having role models, having that almost emotional and uh, more meaningful buy-in into a sport or into a team, you're more likely to have better fan engagement and, and retention for people mm. into, in a sport. Mm. So, yeah, it was really nice to hear you say storytelling and, and role models. Mm. But I think, you know, mm. we talk a lot on the podcast as well about how important basketball is in a broader sense of uh, being the vehicle for things like access to strong role models and stories and lessons from from other people's experiences. So to hear it from someone of your experience and stature, that's a, a really, really nice point. What, what I also would like to say is that, I mean, basketball in many countries, and not at least here here where I grew up, is, is a sport that is played by everyone. I mean, all social classes, all people. It doesn't matter which background you have, you can play basketball. 
And we, we are the only sport, I would say, that really attract first to second generation of immigrants, women or young girls. They are playing basketball here. They're not playing ice hockey or do any other sports, but basketball is big. And that's true basketball. You can also integrate the society and you can do a lot of things in society because it's, it's a sport that is played everywhere. It's simple. And now with 3x3, it's even easier. And you can play boys and girls together as well. And it's easy, it's cheap. I think that is something we also need to emphasize a little bit more. The role you have within the society, where, you know, in a lot of society where people are fighting each other or, I mean, yeah, there are a lot of problems. But you can use that sport as sort of integrate, get people together. I mean, I had my kids playing basketball and they did it because... They loved to meet kids from other parts of Stockholm because otherwise you're, you're segregated. You live in your own neighborhood, you meet your own friends. But when you're doing basketball, is played everywhere, then you meet people and you understand people. And I mean, basketball is not just about the World Cup or Olympics. It's about something else as well. And I think our sport can be used in other ways which would engage also politicians and other people would like that, I think. And you mentioning the World Cup, Mm. you know, it's less than a month away. How do you see that that event helping to promote and improve acceptance of women's basketball, not only here in Australia and the Oceania region, but across Asia and other parts of the world, because they can see the quality of the competition and Mm. they can see that, there's pathways to international representation for your country. Mm. I mean, as long as it's going to be showed or, or visible for all continents and all countries, I think when people see it, they will see that this is great. This is a great sport. And uh, I mean, we're going to have the best teams, the best players there from uh, all the continents. So I'm quite sure it's going to help. But uh, it's also about, I'm not so... I don't know exactly which companies that are going to broadcast everywhere and like that, but I really hope that it's going to go through. And of course, that the organizers will fill the arenas, which is also makes sense because if you have full arenas, you can see it makes everything more fun, both to play and watch, etc. So that is also important. I'm going to jump around a little bit. Yeah. Uh, going to come back to that whole point about storytelling. Now, we as... We're new media, but there's media and and other supporters. What can we do and how can we engage with FIBA and with our national federations better to be able to help grow support for the game? Ooh, (laughs) I'm not a media expert, but I think that most national federations or clubs or whatever are interested to have stories or get stories about female basketball players. So it's more like support them, give them the story, give them the story and tell them we are here, we can help you. We can help you to promote the game or whatever. And I think that's what you can do. And if you do that, then you people see that, oh, there's an interest. And I mean, it's like always, oh, no one wants to read about women's sports, but no one is writing about women's sport and you can't see it. It was like that before. How do you know that no one is interested? So it's more like, okay, the more 
pod we have or the more web pages or uh, more Twitter accounts or whatever talking about women's basketball, then you see that you get followers and people are interested to see it. So it needs to be started on uh, different platforms. I mean, like the media want to write, that the federations pick it up. We have more players, full arena. So everything goes hand in hand in some ways. But I think slowly, slowly it's getting better. But I think you can help out by telling them that you are here and you can help out and you want you want to talk about women's basketball for sure. And um, then send it out to all the federations or whatever. Here you can, can you please put this on your web page and tell your fans that you can listen to this pod, for example. I think people are interested because they know that they know some of the players you are talking about and the situation you are um, describing, even though it's in Australia. I found it directly when I, I mean, I didn't know about it, but now I'm, I'm going to follow it closely. Thank you. Yay. <laughs> now, I'm going to jump back onto something different, and it, it relates to a point that you made before, and that is about the whole concept of bringing men into the discussion about equality, mm-hmm. inclusion, equivalence, and how you've managed to navigate that within FIBA and where you think there's ways that it can we can help to make that happen mm-hmm. yeah it's been a <laughs> it's been a long long road i would say or a long way to uh, change things but when i started out i i mean i was sort of naive or innocent or whatever coming from place where uh, it was rather equal i would say but I had the idea that if I'm going to change something or make um, helping out in any way, I needed to be serious or you need to be serious all the time. And as I said, I mean, show yourself that you are interested in all basketball. And I am seriously interested in all, all basketball. And to show that, that that helps out to make our sport bigger because that's the overall goal I would say for FIBA is to have more players and make basketball more popular. I mean, if we don't include half of the world population, how could, I mean, that's the easiest way to become bigger, to recruit more women or more female leaders, etc. So, uh, and then also try to, I have, I've been trying to compare, I mean, how is the society working? If you look into political life, if you lo- look into the industry, etc., you see that women are taking more and more seats and places in most of the countries right now. And uh, all mother management talk about integration or uh, equality or mixed groups are successful and so on. So it's that's why I try to talk about all the time, not mentioning myself. It's more like if FIBA has the vision to grow. Why don't you use half of the population? And it's also, uh, I mean, a matter of um, democracy and equality. And there are other organizations that have been helping out at IOC, for example, I mean, the International Olympic Committee. They've been working really hard, you know, to make, give the same resources and have the same competition for all sports participating in the Olympics. And uh, I know in Paris, for example, that basketball would have very good place, women's basketball, for example. I think it would be played like the final day. And it, 
things like that is so important. And that's what I try to talk about. And when new generations are coming in, they sort of understand that as well. And a lot of help, I would say, has come from a lot of famous players that now have daughters. And they thought, oh, this is now when I need to help my daughter. And this is, uh, I mean, that's reality. That's how it is, where it starts. And um, I think this will help out a lot as well. But of course, there are still, I mean, societies where women doesn't have the right today. When bad things happen around the world, you're questioning what what is happening. Are we going backwards or whatever? But I mean, we need to work together and we need to help each other, men and women, because it's for me, it's never a conflict between it shouldn't be any conflict between men and women. We should work together in the best of the world. And yeah, that's how I, I at least showed or tried to work with all basketball and not because it's it's hard to be a woman when you sit in a boardroom and oh, now we're going to talk women's basketball. What do you think, Lena? That, that's how it was in the beginning. And I said, I'm not women's basketball. We all should be part of that. And I... I went on like that, and then they understood that this is serious. That's how it is, actually. So I think most of the men are interested in Some are not, and you don't have to be interested in women's basketball, but you have to respect both genders and give both genders the same opportunity in the world. I mean, that's how a democracy works. So Yeah, it's not about one big... I don't know if that was, I mean... An answer to your question, <laughs> that's how I thought. And I I always, I mean, make friends with men from all over the world. And when I were, my kids were younger, I brought my husband. He, he took care of the kids. Well, of course, when I was in meetings and then they saw, oh, and he's a, he's a former basketball player, so he's tall. And all the guys, oh, that looks nice. Maybe I should try that as well. No, I'm, I'm <laughs> so that was a little bit funny. Okay, that actually covered off the point really well. It was more, about, more touching on gender equality, and it's not a point of like I think sometimes, especially with political or social issues in terms of uh, women's rights and gender pay gaps, a lot of those mm-hmm. contemporary issues, for us it's not about one being better than the other. It's just None. one having equal to the other. Mm-hmm. So uh, sharing your experiences and your um, perspective on when we're, you know, addressing basketball, mm. it's about addressing both men and mm. women's basketball. It's the same mm. sport. We should be treating them both the same, valuing mm. them both the same and promoting mm. them both the same. Mm. Um, so I love gender equality and uh, trying to keep things gender neutral as well. So I wanted to ask as well in terms of what FIBA's, you know, do they have any kind of plans of, you know, changing language or, making basketball more inclusive in that sense, where it's just those small but can be important changes of changing language and making it more almost gender neutral. Because for me, with the under-17 World Cup for men and women, I think one in Spain, one in Hungary, especially right now while the under-16 FIBA Asia Cup is on, the times where Mm. I try to Google the schedule, it's always the men's that comes first. And I noticed the title under-16 FIBA World Cup, and I'm like, oh, okay, mm. that's it. But then it goes to the men's page, and then it's the next one that says under-16 FIBA Women's World Cup. So I'm like, mm. okay, one's going to be 
happens, why can't we call yeah. men's and the one women? The, the, that's, that's one of the issues we brought up in this group working in the commission, that we need to change this. I mean, there are very many small details, but that's an important one. And uh, it's going to be changed at least at the youth level first, but um, I think it's really important because... Those small things show that you are equal as well. And a lot of sports already did that. They don't, you don't need to mention if it's men or women because we don't play the same year or whatever. You know what, it, what kind of tournament it is. So step by step, it's changing. But unfortunately, it's not like, I mean, directly, but uh, there is a hope and it will change. It's also about... We have more and more participants or now in the commissions, like we're going to have at least 30% of each gender, etc. So um, it's going forward. But some of us think it should be go faster. But, you know, there are also statutes, bylaws and things like that that need to be changed. Funny story to tell you about that, because I was... Uh, when FIBA first had in their statutes that uh, in the border should be both men and women represented. It was not like that way back. And then they should change the statues. So it was like they changed the statues and it said that, oh, there must be at least uh, one or two women in the board was in the statue. And then I said, no, you cannot write like that because that means that you the whole board could consist of women. If you say at least two women, then the whole board could be consist of women and I said it need to be gender neutral both genders must be represented by at least two and then when I told them that and I also told the lawyer that was writing then oh I said oh I don't yeah now but because most of the men they couldn't even imagine that the board could consist of just women so so, you know but but that was way back but it was a funny story but they changed when I told them that you need to change that. It need to be younger. Oh, now I understand. Now I understand. But that they couldn't even imagine. It's not how it is now. Yes, but the threat. It's the threat of, oh, <laughs> women are going to take over. And then what's going to happen? Yeah. Then, and we won't get yeah. a chance. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> not one or no, the other. No, but that, that's also, I mean, to have like more representatives. I mean, to be on the international level for a lot of people, it's, it's a big thing or it gives you status or whatever in your country. And normally maybe it's just the president of the national federation that represent the country. And it's normally always a man. So you need to change. I mean, if you go to a Congress and you have two persons, I mean, both genders should be represented. That's how you sort of step-by-step increase the participation from, from both genders. So it starts somewhere in the bottom. This starts also at the National Federation because otherwise you cannot change anything really or include more people. And you always also hear this that, okay, if we're going to have more women, they need to be competent or qualified. Yes, but we need that with the men as well, I would say. I mean, no one is never saying that, okay, we should have elect the men. He needs to be competent or qualified. Of course, they should be competent and qualified. Of course, they are. (laughs) One last thing before we wrap up this episode. I wanted to find out, have you been across what's happening in New Zealand with their new competitions? 
No, not really. Ah, okay. Because they have just recently <laughs> relaunched their women's competition where mm. there is pay parity with the other competitions that are taking place and they've partnered with a broadcaster to be able to provide equivalent coverage to the men's competition okay. that they have there. Okay. Um, in, in basketball or in all sports? Or? Basketball. Okay. It was just that because you were, we were talking about equality mm. and equivalence mm. and pay parity, that I was just mm. wondering whether you'd heard of what was happening in New Zealand or not. No, no, I haven't heard. But that sounds interesting. I will look, look it up. Very good. We do have a that... podcast about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll send, you, we'll send you the details of that one um, yeah. because yeah. The Justin Nelson. Okay. Podcast. But it, it seems to me that it's actually a great model Yeah. yeah. for other countries to look at. For sure. That's what the Swedish television, the Swedish state television, we have like two channels that are state run, I would say, and they show a lot of sport. And they decided a couple of years ago that the director, she was a female as well, but they, they're going to show as much uh, live female as ma- male sports. And they do that now. And I mean, it's been a great success because now when people have the possibility to watch, they are watching. And that's, I would say, because they think it's fun and interesting and you have great role models or great stories or whatever. I mean, so if you give the opportunity, it will normally a success, I would say. Of course, it will not just happen overnight, but it will take a while, but you need to start. Yeah. Yeah. Lena, I really mm-hmm. want to thank you for your time. It's been a very enlightening conversation. It's certainly given us a lot more information about what's happening within FIBA and the desire to grow the the women's game. And hopefully we'll be able to catch up with you at the World Cup when you're here in Sydney. I I hope so. I really hope so. And I've been really grateful and thankful to be part of this because I, I love that you are so engaged and want to spread the world about women's basketball or what I would say is more important to use the word women in basketball because that includes also coaches, leaders, referees, etc. etc. It's not just the players. They are the most important ones, but you need the infrastructure around as well to make good things happening. So Absolutely. women in basketball is a better word I would say. But Thank you. Uh, I'm looking forward to come to Australia. September 21st, I will end, I think. And then the next day, the game starts. And hopefully we will see each other. Bring your sneakers so you can come to play pickup. Yeah, I will see. I'm, I'm so old, so I will see if I can play pickup. But I will bring Betty Sebrian that is working with me in FIBA. Uh, she's the more executive person responsible. She's a former player at the top level. I was just, I have my kids playing more. I have, I was just a... Okay, player. But she played in women's NBA, so I will tell her. We will come together. Best to be on my team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah. She's tall. Yeah, she's tall also. That's good. I'll give it to her inside if she wants it. Yeah, good. (laughs) Lena, thanks. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.